Good morning, Life Community Church. Happy Sunday to you, uh, and happy Memorial Day weekend. It, it didn't start off great. Uh, it rained yesterday. It's very surprising. That hardly ever happens, except for always. Uh, other, other than every day, it hardly ever rains. Uh, but yes, happy Memorial Day weekend. Um, chance for us, hopefully, to spend some time with family, but also celebrate those that have, have served and have given their lives. Um, protecting our freedoms without uh, that, things like this wouldn't be possible. I have friends that live in other parts of the world, live and serve in other parts of the world, people who are from other parts of the world, they don't enjoy all the freedoms that we have. So uh, just encourage you to be thankful to God this weekend that you are where you are, that you live where you live, and also spend some time um, honoring those who help make that possible. So today we are in continuing in our series in the book of 1 John. Um, before we get into the text, kind of want to give an idea of what it is we'll try to do today, okay? I just want to make sure there's, uh, there's no surprises. Maybe not too many surprises. There'll be some surprises because quite honestly, I don't know what I'm doing. But it's only a little bit of a joke. If you only knew, that's just a little bit of a joke. Uh, <clears throat> what I would like to do is we'll spend some time in the Word. It's a good place to be for a sermon. Um, and this text is going to challenge you. This text may at times even be difficult for you as we talk about it, as we try to apply it to our lives. It may be uh, hard to swallow at certain times. Um, so there's that. But I think a good challenge is, is good for us every once in a while. We don't really grow unless we're challenged. If we never challenge ourselves in any way, shape, or form, then we stay the same as we've always been, right? We never actually grow. And that, that does not sound like very much fun to me. I like to be a person that's growing. Um, and I believe God's Word calls us to grow. Uh, offer some hope in this text. And also, hopefully, help us understand where we might be in relation to this text. I see one of three places that we might be. So kind of see where we are in relation to this text and hopefully grow from that into what it is God has for us. So we'll start with a question. How many of you have ever been distracted? Anybody? You can raise your hands. Just a safe space, okay? You've been distracted a few times. I have been distracted lots of times in my life. Lots of times. Uh, and the research would say that we're not the only ones. Um, According to an uh, article that I read this week, we check our phones, Americans on general, check our phones about 80 times a day. 80 times a day we pick up our phones and we look at it. And I'm sure that every single time we pick up our phone and look at it, it's because we have something extremely important we need to be dealing with. That's not true. That's, that's not true. About half of the times we check our phones, according to this research article that I read, uh, it's usually just checking social media because... Like, we need to check. Like, something might have happened. Uh, that figures out to about once every 12 minutes, which is quite a bit of times. Uh, during that study, it said that the, the longest a person would go, the average person would go, would be about four hours, where they start to feel this need to check their phone. We have this need to be distracted, right? We live in a very distracted world. And depending on what it is that you're doing, some distractions are worse than others, right? Like, Sometimes I have to mow my yard when I'm capable to, uh, and I don't like mowing my yard, so I like to distract myself a little bit by listening to something that hopefully 
helps me become more intelligent, or at least entertains me while I'm sitting on a mower for three hours, wishing I wasn't on a mower for three hours. Uh, some distractions are more dangerous, right? Let's say, for example, you're trying to cook spaghetti, right? And you get distracted by something, because spaghetti's delicious, but you get distracted by something, and then as you're distracted, you hear this sizzling noise somewhere in the background, and you think to yourself, spaghetti's not supposed to sizzle. Like, that's not... That's not the way spaghetti works. It's supposed to bubble, not sizzle. So then you walk into your kitchen and you have water going everywhere. Right? That's a bad deal. That makes for a bad day. Now, those are all, in all actuality, some minor distractions. A place that I believe is a major distraction is in our relationship with God and our love for Him. We get distracted a lot in our love for God. There are lots of and lots of things that pull us away from our love for God. And that is dangerous, not just for the moment, but for all of eternity. And it creates this incredible restlessness within us. As we've become a society that is increasingly distracted, we've also, the research would tell us, become a society that is becoming increasingly lonely and increasingly separated from other people. As we've gone through the years as a culture, anxiety numbers have gone up, depression numbers have gone up. We've become more and more distracted by all these different things, but it leaves us more and more restless. I would submit to you that the primary reason for our restlessness and all of those things is because we're getting further and further away from God. I think Augustine, uh, the early church father, said it best when he said, Our hearts were made for you, O God. And we are restless until we find rest in you. We are created for God, by God and for God. And our hearts are restless until they find rest in him. The more distracted we become, the more restless we become. Because we realize that we are allowing ourselves to be pulled away from the great thing, from so many lesser things. Then the end mean nothing. Like one of the things, if I'm being completely honest, that distracts me the most is my phone. And sometimes it's social media, but a lot of times it's, I wonder if the Cubs won today. Because that is vitally important to my very existence. <laughs> I need to know. I get this thought in the back of my head and I think to myself, did the Cubs win today? And then nothing else matters but that. Like that's, that's not important. Like, it's not going to change anything. It's not going to help me love my wife better. It's not going to help me serve God better, be a better father in any way, shape, or form. But yet, it is something that distracts me, and it means nothing. It's, it's pointless. As much as it pains me to say that, it's pointless. Like, they will win the World Series again. I can't, because that happened. That's still a thing. Okay, move on. This is, why are you even talking about it? I'm distracted so easily by so many things. But we get distracted in our love for God. And John would tell us that that's extremely dangerous. So let's get into the text before I get distracted anymore. 1 John chapter 2. Uh, you can turn there in your Bibles. If you uh, haven't got one of these sermon journal thingies, uh, which I believe is the technical term for it, uh, I think we still have some more in the back, and they're extremely, extremely helpful. Verse 15. Short verse, but it says a lot. Do not love the world or the things in this world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. 
Let me read that to you again. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. That's a harsh statement, isn't it? John comes out and very clearly lays down this boundary. Do not love the world. Do not. It's not a maybe love the world, maybe not love the world. John comes out very strongly and says, do not love the world. If you love the world, the love of the Father is not in you. If you love the world, you don't know the love of God. You don't, that love is not inside of you. That is a harsh statement because it has all kinds of implications to it. And it almost sounds hard too, right? Now let's think about John for a moment. Let's talk about this just the nature of this statement. John is considered the disciple of love, or the gospel of, not the gospel of love, that was a silly thing to say, the apostle of love. He's considered the apostle of love. He refers to himself in the gospel of John as the one Jesus loved, which is incredibly humble of this man. Like, he's, he's loved by Jesus and humble. I just, I love John for many reasons. One of my, side note, one of my favorite things about John is found in the resurrection text, when it says that John and Peter went to the tomb to see uh, what they had been told him, that Jesus wasn't there anymore. And John makes sure to tell us that the one Jesus loved got there first. Like, for all eternity, I'm faster than Peter. That's what's up. Like, that's, that's classic friend talk. Yeah, you're stronger. I'm faster. Like, that's just that's just the way, that's the way people talk, isn't it, right? So that's encouraging to me, and maybe John grew up out of that. I don't know, maybe not. Uh, but he lays down this statement. I would submit to you that the reason why he is so clear in that statement and so seemingly harsh in that statement was because of his love, because he deeply loved the people he was writing this letter to. And he knew that God deeply loved them. He wanted to make sure that they knew without a shadow of a doubt, do not love the world. If you love the world, the love of the Father is not in you. It was because of his love. He was far more concerned, and this is the way love works. Love is far more concerned with eternal comfort than temporary comfort. And the thing that John is writing to, this is not a minor thing. This is a big eternal location type of issue, right? This is the difference between eternity spent with God, celebrating and loving him, and eternity separated from God, suffering apart from him. Like, this is a big deal that John is laying this thing down. This is not a small thing, Cool Ranch Doritos versus Nacho Cheese Doritos. Like, that doesn't matter. Like, John is laying out this huge thing. If you claim to love God, but you love the world more than that, then you don't actually know the love of the Father. That is a huge statement. James, I think, takes it even further. In James chapter 4, verse 4, I will show it up there. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. James comes out very strong. If you are even friends with the world, you are an enemy of God. And James has a fascinating, fascinating perspective on this, in my opinion. James is the half-brother of Jesus, um, who in the beginning of Jesus' ministry, from what the Bible tells us, was not a big fan of Jesus. In Jesus' ministry. 
But in some sense, can you blame the guy? Like, think about what conversations around the dinner table must have been like in James's home. Like, Mary would say, James, what, what are you doing with your life? Well, your brother walked on water this weekend. What did you do? Like, I'd imagine James would be like, what? I'm trying to get through school, Mom. Like, I got things going on too. Well, well, honey, your brother walked, uh, re- turned water into wine. What are you doing with your life? I'm figuring stuff out, okay? That's what I'm doing, right? Some of us have that one brother or that one sister that is perfect and never does anything wrong. I have two of them, to be honest with you, but whatever. All of us have that one brother or one sister. James, his brother literally was perfect. Like, it's a tough thing to live up to. But James comes around to the point where he, he died for his brother. Like, he died for faith and belief in his brother. He also offers an interesting perspective that if anybody would have seen flaws in Jesus and seen lies in the message Jesus would have preached, it would have been his brother. Because who knows your flaws more than your family? Who knows your junk more than your family does, right? James saw it all. And at the end of his life, he was willing to willingly die for that because he understood that friendship with the world made him an enemy of God, and he knew God very, very well. So what are we to do with that? What are we to do with a harsh statement like that, a hard statement of the, like that? Is if you love the world, you don't know God. Well, let's think about this. What do we mean by the world? Okay. John explains it for us, but I think um, Augustine, again, a reference to him earlier, has some interesting ways for us to think about this. In his work book, The City of God, he talks about these two different cities that mankind, humanity lives in. One is the city of man or the earthly city. And he talks about that city being built on based on a love for self, a deep love for self, to the point of contentment for God, to where you are so in love with yourself and your own, the way you perceive the world and your hopes and your dreams and your future and your truth and the way you perceive things, you are so deeply in love with that that the truth of God's word, you start to contempt it, feel contempt for it. You start to hate it because it goes against that, right? It challenges that. And then he talks about the city of God being a city that is built and based on a deep love for God. So much so that you are so deeply in love for God that it borders on contempt for self. Very similar, in my opinion, what Paul says is to live is great, but to die, that's a gain, right? Because I get to be with God. If I live, I get to do the will of God. Hooray. If I die, I get to be with God. Hooray. Like either way I win. That's what the city of God is built on. And we get to throughout our life, choose which of these cities are we actually living in? Are we living in a city? Are we living a way of life that is built on self? Our own desires, our own wants, our own passions, what we think is best. If we do, then we will never find contentment. So long as we pull truth and place it within ourselves and place it on what we want and what we think, then we'll never go into find contentment. It's not until we take truth and we place it firmly on God in his word and what he teaches us are we ever going to find truth and joy and contentment and peace. Because I don't know if you know this, but we are ever-changing. 
When I look back on some of the things that I thought and talked about and said 10, 15 years ago when I first started doing ministry stuff, I think that guy's dumb. (laughs) He knows nothing. Like, why is he saying stuff like that, right? And I have a feeling that 20 years from now, when I look back on myself at this point in my life, there's going to be some things that I see and I say, why would you ever say that? Like, (laughs) why would you ever think that? Right? Because Hopefully, if we're doing this thing right, we are growing closer to God and becoming more and more like Him. But if we're placing truth in ourselves, we're never going to find peace. And we're going to find death here in this life and in the life to come. John goes on to explain this further. Verse 16. For all that is in the world... All that is in the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. That point of the world is passing away along with its desires, everything that we place our hope in apart from God, it's, it's going to change. It's not on a firm foundation. It's not secure. It will eventually crumble. And if we're placing truth and hope and faith in ourselves alone, the moment life starts to fall apart for us, and if it hasn't yet, it will, then we start to crumble because we have no firm footing. We have nothing to stand on. It will eventually crumble around us, and we will find ourselves more and more restless. But what God says here is that, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. When we stay connected to him, and we stay deeply connected to him, that's when we know that we, we have something we can stand on. We have something firm we can stand on. Now, this raises an interesting point in my mind also, is like, what exactly is the will of the Father, right? Well, Jesus would tell us that um, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength. Right? That deep love for him, and only you know that. Only you and God know where your love is at. I can't tell that to you. I can't figure that out just by looking at your life. Only you know that for sure. And one of the reasons why I say that is because of Jesus. In the Gospels, he says that in the last days, there'll be many people who come to me and say, Lord, Lord, I've done all this stuff, right? I've cast out demons. I've uh, I've preached the gospel. I've had people come to salvation. I did the bake sales. I don't think they did bake sales back then. I was just trying to see if you guys were paying attention. Uh, I've done all these things for you, God. I volunteered at the, at the cookout. And Jesus says to them, depart from me. I don't, I don't even know who you are. Right? There's this real possibility that if we're not honest with ourselves, then we could even take a passage like this that is, that is hard to swallow, that says, do not love the world or the things of this world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. We can trick ourselves and trick other people around us so well that we could take this scripture, put it up against our lives, and, and convince ourselves that, yeah, I'm good. 
Like, I'm pretty good. Like, I do some things. Like, I kind of love God, so I'm cool with that, right? But it's hard to know the motives of our heart. So a couple of thoughts on that. Do we have people in our lives that we trust enough who would be willing to come alongside us like John does to the readers of this epistle and say, are you loving God? Do we have people in our lives that we trust enough that we would allow them to say that to us? Or do we have people in our life that we are honest enough But to say that, I feel like my love is growing cold for God. Will you pray with me through this? Will you walk with me through this? I I don't want to walk away from God. Will you be there with me? Because if we're honest, that happens sometimes, doesn't it? We go through seasons of our lives where it feels like we're not real connected with Him. We feel kind of far. We feel kind of distant from him. We build up these calluses around our heart. We build up these hard spots around our heart to try to protect ourselves. And if we're not careful, they even hold God away from us. Are we willing to trust God and allow him to come deeply into our lives and allow his love to burst through? Because I have a feeling that there may be some of you even today, as I'm going through this message, maybe feeling convicted a little bit. Hopefully not shame. I think shame is much different than conviction. From what I've seen, shame pushes us away from God, where conviction brings us closer to Him. Because in conviction, we find that there's actually hope, that we actually find a way back, and it's by allowing God to speak truth to our lives. So where's your love at? Where's your love for God at today? Again, only you and God know the answer to that question, but I would submit to you that there's probably one of three places that you find yourself in. One of them is your love for God is clicking, right? It's firing on all cylinders. You're finding joy and devotion to Him. You're finding joy and peace and hope and contentment in Him. Maybe not perfect, right? But you're finding your comfort in Him. Your hope is surely based on him. And when you read the scriptures, you, you feel encouragement from that. You find encouragement from him. There's joy in actually spending time with God. Number two is, is maybe your love has grown cold. Like I mentioned earlier, maybe there's been some things that have happened in your life that have distracted you from him. Maybe through your own making. Maybe you've caused some of those distractions in your life. Or maybe those distractions have just shown up as a part of the natural role of life, of living in a sinful and fallen world where tragedy surrounds us. It's so easy. And in my own life, the times that I have been most distracted from God are the times that I've allowed the tragedy in my life to pull me away from Him rather than push me towards Him. And we get to pick what we're going to do with that in our life. Are we going to let God redeem it? Or are we going to allow Satan to use it to pull us further away from God? And that is a very, very difficult place And that. So hopefully what you hear in my face, in my voice, is not shame, but grace and hope. Maybe that's where you are. Your love has grown cold. It started out hot, started out on fire, ablaze for him, and then slowly over time, it's dwindled because you've been distracted. Or maybe... Maybe you've never known God. Maybe you've done all, all the God things. And maybe you're one of those that would come to Jesus and say, Lord, Lord, I've done all this stuff. Look at me. But your heart was never truly his. Or maybe you're like 
some people I've talked to over the years where they say, I've tried God, I've tried Jesus, and it didn't work. As if God were a coat that we could try on and then take off. When they put back on, then take off because it got uncomfortable. All right? God is much bigger than that. Maybe you've tried it and it hasn't worked. I would submit to you that you haven't allowed God to truly have your heart then. Yet then. So as we get ready to close out our time with one more worship song, regardless of what one of those spots that you might be, maybe it's your love is clicking, but those distractions are still there. Maybe your love has grown cold, or maybe you've never known the love of God. The big question I have for you this week is, what's distracting you? What's pulling you away from Him? What's, what lesser thing is pulling you away from the greatest thing? So as I pray, I'd encourage you to worship with us one last time. If you feel you need prayer or would like to do business with God, you're more than welcome to. So God, we thank you for today. God, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your love that you poured out on us so richly and so graciously. God, I pray that we would never lose sight of that. This world that we live in is so full of distractions. God, I pray that we would never use those as an excuse to walk away from you. But even in the midst of those things, in the midst of the world, a world that is constantly changing in truth and constantly changing in what joy and peace and happiness look like, God, I pray that we would be a people who are firmly rooted on you. God, and I pray that this last song that we're about to sing, I pray that it would become the prayer, the prayer of our heart. We'd give ourselves completely to you. In your name, amen.